May 16th, 1888. Nikolai Tesla delivers a lecture describing the equipment which will allow efficient generation and use of alternating currents to transmit electrical power over long distances. Though his slides had all been replaced by pictures of fetish porn by famous petty bitch, Thomas Edison. Welcome to The Revisionists, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. I uh, did not mean to sound like I don't know the name of, the, of my own fucking podcast. Uh, but joining us uh, this episode, super excited to have him on for the first time, uh, Derek Stroop, everyone. Hey, everybody. Glad to be on. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Listeners, if you're new to the show, what we do each episode is we take a topic from history. One person presents the uh, official government-sanctioned, USDA-approved, uh, no-insect parts uh, or minimal insect parts uh, version of events. Um, Acceptable levels of insect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> below, below the harmful threshold yeah. of insect parts. It's going to be less than the food from Snowpiercer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is insects. Which is fully, it's spoiler for 100%. Snowpiercer. That's, yeah. <laughs> okay, but that's not like the plot of Snowpiercer. No, I mean, it's part of the plot, it's but true, the certain. final revelation is not Chris Evans going, it's insects, oh my God, it's insects. <laughs> it happens about a third of the way through the film. Uh-huh. Um, it's a good movie, it's from the director of Parasite and stars Captain America, why don't you go... You have, you have nothing but time. <laughs> but don't take our word for it. Check out Snowpiercer at your local library when it reopens. I mean, I'm sure it's streaming. I'm, this is the 20th century. Libraries are obsolete. <laughs> Yikes. Um, fuck was I talking? Oh, yeah. And then another It's also the 21st century, so my oh, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we're like six weeks into this shit. I don't know what's what. More than uh, that, man. It's been over two months. Wow. Okay, then. See, just proving my point. Then, after we've presented that version of events, another person comes up with a uh, off-the-wall, bonkers, uh, slightly skewed take uh, on that person, place, or thing. And the winner gets to become the truth going forward of this crazy little thing called life. Um, Last time on the podcast, we talked about the moon landing. Uh, with Bridget Callahan. Uh, Apollo 11. Apollo 11. Texas T. What? <laughs> Look. It sounds like you learned something on that episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So much. Texas. Just doing the Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> thing. When I, when I, whenever I list three names, whenever you list three names for a different thing, I think the third one should always be Texas T. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Moon landing. Apollo 11. Texas, Texas T. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, Zach, we all know, is a classic hillhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I definitely like that theme song. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know the plots of all, how many episodes of Beverly Hillbillies? I'm going to go with 314. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. They used to make a lot of fucking episodes of shows. That's true. <laughs> There's 431 episodes of Bonanza, which I know from the podcast Bananas for Bonanza, starring Andy Daly. <laughs> that is an unbelievable amount of episodes. Yeah. I just, 
I love a certain era of television when you could just like write anything and it would make it on the air and get reach syndication numbers like that. Wow. You're right. Brian, uh, throwing shade at Mr. uh, Mr. Rogers right off the bat. (laughs) Brian Flynn says Mr. Rogers is shit. Shouldn't reach syndication. (laughs) Throwing down a beef. I think my exact words were Mr. Rogers was a cuck. So that. Yeah. Fair that, enough. Um, anyway. Put it on the cover of the podcast. Nope. <laughs> Not something I believe. Um, <laughs> that's the other thing we do on the show is we come up with. Try mul- to slander each other. Yeah, basically. Mostly me. Because we all know I'm most likely to just take it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um Results for the Apollo 11 moon landing uh, black gold episode are not uh, not in yet, uh, so stay tuned for that. What about uh, Gagarevich? Gagarin? Is that the one we did Yuri before? Yuri Gagarin? Yeah. Because um, I don't think we've announced that on air yet. You are correct. The actual uh, history one for that. Short uh, King Yuri Gagarin. Short King, <laughs> of course. Uh, thank you to Matt Kobos, though, for his version of of events and for joining us for his filthy, filthy version of events. This time, though, uh, we're discussing Apollo 13, classic dad movie fodder. And yeah. this, um, we were going to have one more episode in the Space Race series after this. Um, I was rereading it, and it's kind of a bummer, so I'm not sure yet. So we, this might be the last Did episode of Space Race. Did you pick the Challenger? No, no, no. Um, sort Wait, of. that's how that went? <laughs> that would be a I great I stopped two-thirds of the way through the story of the Challenger Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on episode eight of ten of Challenger Story on HBO. Sorry, Derek, you were saying? No, no, I'm I'm laughing. That's okay. I like stopping two thirds of the way through. I think the podcast should just all suddenly just end <laughs> mid sentence. I mean, to be fair, two thirds of the way through seems like it was going great. Yeah. yeah. Oh I man, mean, it had had the world in a headlock uh, two thirds <laughs> of the way through. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you got to the sentence all around this United States. Schools tuned in to watch the launch. <laughs> I'll pick this up next time. <laughs> that's that's so true. Nothing bad ever happened in a U.S. public school. Yeah. Well, I can tell you what. We haven't watched a space shuttle leave since that shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's We're true. Like, so- yeah. Just uh, just you know, talk about it on the news at 10 p.m. Don't show a live video. That really kind of put us sideways for a little bit. It's it's like how SNL has a tape delay now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Both both the Challenger uh, explosion and the SNL tape delay caused by Jenny Slate. True story. Wow. <laughs> you want to talk about some easy dots to connect, Zach. You're right. <laughs> um, I do have a crazy Challenger story, but I don't know. My dad did tell us... Um, like a couple years ago that he volunteered for like that same program that was like teacher in space. And he wanted to be like the first like journalist in space. And there was like a chance that that person would have been on the challenger. And he did not tell us until years afterwards that he volunteered to go to space, (laughs) presumably to get away from us. 
was, oh, no, he yeah. was chasing the story. He was chasing the story about Utu the Watcher. <laughs> <laughs> and he had to get access. <laughs> yeah, it's a fucking what if my dad blew up on the way to space? Um, Jesus. No, but he was a reporter at the newspaper and a uh, employee of what was then Martin Marietta, now Lockheed Martin, which built components of the space shuttle, came to him months before the explosion saying, uh, hey, you did a bad this, job. Yeah, the space shuttle's going to explode. Um, and the editors, what? yeah, the editors of the Rocky Mountain News, uh, being in Colorado, same state as Lockheed Martin, uh, kind of sat on the story. What? They knew that the space shuttle was going to explode? Basically, because uh, they were on. saying the um, the like bracket that melted from the heat of the nozzle, which caused like the failure of the O-ring that eventually led the ship to blow up, that they had like... They These were... are all the names of sex toys, correct? Yes, correct. Uh, nozzle, O-ring, uh, space shuttle challenger, uh, all the <laughs> names. <laughs> all the... It's a memorial sex yeah. toy. Uh, yeah. All the proceeds... Go to NASA. Space, Space Shuttle Challenger sounds quite quite the sex toy. Sounds like you'd you'd need an associate to get a dolly. Could I? Could you help me with that <laughs> to the car? That's I, the I one that they that. have displayed in the window as kind of a joke, and they don't expect to ever actually sell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's about fifty thousand tickets. One. Uh, yeah. And they're like, "Be careful! This thing blows up two thirds of the way through." <laughs> <laughs> We've lost seven astronauts on this one. Yeah. <laughs> so many brave men and women. Anyway, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> did I, I explained what we did on the show. Uh, so we're legit just, question. Was the last one going to be that woman who tried to cross the country in her diapers who was an astronaut? No, no, no. Um, it was going to be. Well, if you do what we can say next time, if we don't do it, we'll say next time. The uh, So Zach, you're doing the, Actual history of Apollo 13? Uh, yes, I, I believe so. And then, Derek, you're doing the alternate? I am, yes. Great. And I, I just, I, I have something random I want to bring up real quick. Please I'm, do. Uh, I've got another computer that's over here that's on Facebook. And there's a guy, he's a comedian um, out of Alabama. His name's Nerardo Moore. Very mm-hmm. funny guy. He lives in Birmingham. 16 minutes ago, he made a status that says, how does anybody, I, I can't make this up. How does anybody watch Snowpiercer and think this would make a great TV show? <laughs> oh, man. And I'm just saying, it's like soon. they're listening to the. I have never even heard of Snowpiercer until you guys were talking about it. And now, and now there's a status <laughs> on here anyways. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's it is being adapted into a TV show. So I'll be damned. Yeah. Uh, that's, I always hate when that happens, when I'm like talking to Jen about like, oh, we should get, like, some cat toys, and then everything all the time is cat toys. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. No, I thought you were going to say cat toys got adapted into a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Zach, whenever you're ready, uh, take it yeah. away. Okay, so after Apollo 11, the one that was good and succeeded, <laughs> um, the details of which I am not at liberty to discuss because we have not voted on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, largely, gradually, enthusiasm for the, uh, the, the NASA program and the space race kind of starts to diminish, kind of, NASA shot its load, and people were like, <laughs> we did it, we can move on to the next thing. <laughs> sure. 
there were nine rockets remaining after Apollo 11. There was originally scheduled to be uh, up through Apollo 20 mission, like so basically nine more missions to the moon. Funding mm-hmm. began to get cut. They scrapped Apollo 20 early on. Uh, yeah, uh, Apollo 12 occurred and landed successfully on the moon. And then we're on to Apollo 13, as you might expect. <laughs> <laughs> So the Houston Communication Center was created by a man named Chris Kraft, uh, and it was he was the first flight director of the uh, of NASA. And there was a call among flight directors that they are answerable to literally no one during a space flight. Uh, there was a time there was like a test flight or a, a non moon flight where a director made a good call and somebody higher up tried to over, override them. And it turned out that the director was right. And ever since then, it was like flight director has final say on everything. Mm-hmm. So after Apollo 12's success, 13 decides to improve on the precision landing on the moon. And they choose Jim Lovell for the mission commander. He'd been in space numerous times. He'd done three trips to space. And at that point in time had spent more time and space than any other American, a total of 572 hours over three missions. Okay. So he's a pretty good choice, I guess. Um, they also <laughs> Pretty choose... good, I guess. More time and space than any other person in this country. Yeah. <laughs> so, whatever. Uh, Jack Swigert and Fred Hayes are the other team members. Uh, they're both educated in aerodynamics and aeronautics and have flew, flown with various military organizations, the Air Force and the Marines. Uh, they had done, like, flying missions with. Mm-hmm. The original choice for commander was actually Alan Shepard, who was the first American in space. But he was out of practice. He hadn't flown into space since his original mission, uh, which was 10 years earlier. And he had uh, to do some chain, uh, training to, like, catch up to the standards of NASA, and he was a little older. Um, there was a couple other contenders to go on the mission, but... They were out of favor for a lax attitude towards training and a recent <laughs> extramarital affair, respectively. Okay. Yeah. Um, another person had come in contact with somebody who had rubella and was had never had it before, so they potentially could develop it. So they deemed it unsafe for that person to go to space in case they developed rubella. Mm. Uh, they never did and eventually went on, uh, on the next successful moon mission, uh, 16. Uh, it was a man named Mattingly. Oh, oh um, Gary Sinise in the movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, I mean, for me, it was Lieutenant Dan going to space. <laughs> yeah, that was the original title of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Forrest and Dan back together. Uh, Gene Kranz, Ed Harris, uh, was the lead flight director. <laughs> Thank you. Boy, he really shit the bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Duncan on Gene Kranz or Ed Harris. I don't know. I can't tell which. I, both of them. I want them both. <laughs> Notably, Apollo 11 and 13 are the only, every Apollo mission had an, an insignia that was developed for them. Apollo 11 and 13 are the only ones that do not include the crew members' names. So they didn't have to change it when they did that last minute Rubella replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also the only two Apollos anybody knows fucking anything about. So, <laughs> the lunar module is given the cosine Aquarius. Some people speculate because of the musical hair, although Lovell says that is not why he gave it that name. <laughs> uh, Age of the Aquarius was a popular song at the time. Mm-hmm. The control module is given the name Odyssey, partially because of 2001 A Space Odyssey. 
Oh, okay. Uh, it was originally scheduled for March 12th. Uh, then moved to April 11th, 1970. They had planned for, after the success of Apollo uh, 11, they wanted to do like two space flights a year for the next few years. Basically the Marvel method of space flights, <laughs> yeah. two a year, uh, <laughs> about six months apart. And then like one where they launch just all their rockets at once. Yeah, a big, yes. All the rockets collide into each other <laughs> in the big finale. And then another one that's Ultron, that's kind of eh. They each did 1,000 hours of training before going into space. That's roughly five hours for every hour they would actually be in space uh, wow. based on the planned mission time. And, you know, they did various things like field tests, learning the equipment, physical training, the vomit comet, which was like to get them used to high Gs and low gravity and stuff like that. Um, they were planning to land in the Frau Mano crater to date the material there, which was from an early crater impact with the moon to get more uh, information on the history of the moon and potentially the history of Earth. And they were going to relieve a replacement seismometer because the one dropped by Apollo 11 like immediately broke after they left it there, basically. Oh, shit. (laughs) They were uh, supposed to spend more time on the moon than previous, uh, previous missions. And... You know, they had different, uh, they had drinking pouches inside their helmets that they developed, and they added, like, stripes to the suits. You could tell which astronaut was which. Um, okay. I mean, honestly, it sounds like that, uh, I-, I liked the movie a lot, and I wasn't too young. I'm 35 years old, so when it was came out and was popular, I was probably around, like, 11 or 12. And everything you're describing is, like, they showed a lot of that in the moving like mm-hmm. movie, like all the unique training, how they had the stripes on the suits, all that, the, the, the thing in the helmet. Like, so that's pretty cool to see. I, I mean, it was relatively accurate, which probably isn't that hard to gather information on an event like that. Anyways. I'm, I'm wondering though, cause like only two people actually landed on the moon. So why do you need the stripes on the suit to tell each other apart? Well, people did say like when Aldrin and uh, Armstrong came out, like their suits were identical. So when you watch the footage, like in footage tell. or pictures, got yes. it. When they broadcast that makes way more sense when they broadcast <laughs> to earth. Yeah. yeah when yeah, they yeah. broadcast to earth. So the audience can tell who is who. So um, they launch uh, uh, as planned on April 11th. There's actually a slight problem during launch. That is not the big problem. Um, so there's something called a pogo oscillation causes the second stage center engine to shut down a couple minutes early on launch though the other engines are able to compensate Um, it was later found that the engine was one cycle away from quote catastrophic failure i assume that means they would have died yeah Um, i mean that seems pretty catastrophic yeah (laughs) it's worth noting that apparently Another part of the reason, aside from like budget cuts and lack of enthusiasm that the space program was dying is, it was extremely expensive to buy life insurance for astronauts. Really? <laughs> yeah, it basically it was extraordinarily expensive and it was very difficult for them to get life insurance from anywhere because it was wow. so I mean, you'd, you'd think there'd be one life insurance company that'd be like, yeah, you're astronauts, we'll kind of fucking just eat this one a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, that is not the case. Capitalism. Yeah. So, uh, Swigert realized uh, shortly after launch that he forgot to file his taxes and talked to the command center about whether he would be eligible for an extension. 
They determined he was because he would be out of country during the filing deadline. <laughs> that is, I have, I've seen this movie, the movie about this so many fucking times because it's like, it's one of those movies that my dad will always watch when it comes on TV and it's Absolutely. always on TV. <laughs> so yeah. just by well, osmosis. And, and being from, I'm, I'm from 10 miles outside of Huntsville, Alabama, mm. which is where the, the uh space camp is uh there's a huge there's a huge u.s uh marshall flight center there it's a big deal there's a nasa Mm -hmm. museum there's all kinds of one of my best friends growing up his mother was a rocket scientist for nasa and she would fly to houston um every couple weeks or so so like space where i grew up was a was a big deal it was very popular lots of my friends parents um were uh, employed by NASA. So when Apollo 13 came out, I mean, it took where I'm from, you know, a unique little pocket in North Alabama with lots of rocket scientists. It took us by, by storms, a super popular thing. And I mean, I guess, and you could even say for kids where I live, space wasn't just an imaginary thing. We felt like it was very real and very tangible for where we grew up. So I'm with you. I've seen the movie countless times. So like space near Huntsville, Alabama, was sort of like string cheese incident in Colorado around that time or like, um, you know, fish, I guess <laughs> that is the thing we all string cheese. Comparison, Brian. Um, well to us, string cheese incident wasn't just some abstract thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We lived and breathed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, it was, uh, it, it just made for such a unique area. Like there was a show on the Discovery Channel for a couple of years called Redneck Rocket Scientists. Mm-hmm. And there was like these like real country dudes like building shit. Like I, I tell people where I grew up um, was really cool because it was a unique blend of like, honestly, like cotton farmers and, and soy farmers. And then right across the street would be a bunch of NASA engineers or rocket scientists. And mm-hmm. the guys that, you know, it'd, it'd be Southern engineers. It's really weird to hear somebody talk like they're chewing on peanut butter and, and talking <laughs> way, over your, way over your head, you know. So anyways, Huntsville's got that kind of unique uh, pocket there. And of course, you know, NASA barely exists anymore. And a lot of those people have retired from it and such. But for about 20, 25 years, I mean, it was uh, it, it really boomed in, in Huntsville particularly. Mm-hmm. Nice. Sorry, I'm also just think when you said the peanut butter thing, it made me think of Mr. Ed as. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, April 13th, about 10 p.m. Eastern, um, uh, they're closing in. It was a three-day trip planned to get to the moon. Three days to get back, basically. Uh, so it's you know, and obviously some time actually on the moon. So it's roughly estimated to be a week trip. This is like late day two, early day three, kind of. So they're, they're closing in on the moon. Uh, they're testing the television broadcast equipment on day three. The audience for the broadcast test was limited, and this is a direct quote from the Wikipedia page. The audience was limited by, quote, no station carrying the broadcast. Oh, shit. So, <laughs> yeah, yikes. Obviously, this was just the test and not the actual landing, but still. Um, So shortly after the broadcast test ends, the pressure readings on one of the takes come back a little odd. So uh, Mission Command asks Swigert to turn on the stirring fan to try and get a better, more accurate oxygen read. 95 seconds after he turns on the stirring fan, the crew hears, quote, a pretty loud bang. 
Uh, Swigert and Lowell, uh, Lovell both uh, report Houston, we've had a problem, which obviously got slightly changed for the film to Houston, we have a problem instead of we've had. Uh, Lovell at first thought that the that Hayes had activated the cabin repressurization uh, just to startle the other crew because apparently that was something he liked to do. Um, <laughs> just some space pranks. <laughs> you know, the, the safest kind of pranks. Yeah, but the tank, tank, the oxygen tank two had read empty at that point, and tank one was emptying, and it became pretty clear that was not what happened. Sly, uh, a man named Sly Liebergood, uh, initially, who was one of like the, uh, the ground crew, mm-hmm. initially thought it was a false read due to instrument problems and was, quote, teased for years over this. So that's <laughs> the kind of thing you get teased at NASA for wow. years over. <laughs> Jeez. Even though, like, it took minutes to figure out that wasn't the case. Lovell then sees gas venting into space through the window, and everyone realizes this is a real problem. So the surge tank was then cut off to save oxygen. Um, Shutting this down meant that the cells that power the shuttle will die in two hours, because they require oxygen to run. At this point, they are not going to land on the moon. The only goal is not dying. Um, (laughs) So they're told to boot up the lunar module. Uh, which has an independent oxygen source as a life raft. So, and if the accident had recur- had occurred on the return voyage for this reason, they would have all died because the lunar module would have been left on, on the moon. Mm-hmm. It would have also, they would have also died if they were in lunar orbit because the module would have been like already activated or in like a stage where they couldn't, couldn't right. pull this stuff off. So basically it's kind of lucky it occurred exactly when it, when it did. Yeah. The, the lunar module was never intended to control the trajectory of the, of the overall rocket, right? So technically it was possible. So they decided the best thing to do is sling around the moon and modify their trajectory as they go. And they were initially planning to do this, land in the Indian Ocean, but there were little like, uh, there was very few recovery resources in the Indian Ocean. So after some quick math, they switched it to the Pacific Ocean uh, and 12 hours sooner than their first expected land time. And it would require the highest absolute altitude ever recorded by a spacecraft of 248, 655 miles away from Earth, a manned spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, that record still stands to this day. Um, and they were told uh, that the seismometer that they launched uh, had impacted the moon as planned, um, to which Lovell responded, at least something worked on this flight. <laughs> Sassy Jim Lovell. The accuracy of f- testing the accuracy of the fuel burns they needed to adjust their trajectory was complicated because the main cabin was full of debris. So they had to use the sun and the moon to try and estimate exactly when they needed to start Jesus. fuel burns and for how long. So then after they did the fuel burn to swing them around the moon in a certain amount of time, they did about four minutes of fuel burn to get their uh, momentum and trajectory correct. All lunar module systems are shut down except for the ones necessary to survive, basically. So now the problem is that they have oxygen from the lunar module, but there is nothing in the lunar module to remove carbon dioxide. Good, good. (laughs) Basically, uh, the the cans that they use in the main module, the command module, to catch the carbon dioxide do not fit 
on these ports in the looter module. So they, they just, they mm -hmm. have these cans, but they're useless because they don't fit. So basically someone at command, they come up with these, um, these things they call the mailbox, which is they use pieces of plastic, uh, manual covers and duct tape to jury rig a connector between the canisters from the main cabin and the ports in the looter module so that they can suck carbon dioxide out of the air, basically. And they figured this out in a couple of hours, more or less. It took an hour to build with the ground crew instructing, um, instructing the two uh, aeronautics folks, uh, Swigert and Hayes, on how to do it. Uh, Joe Kerwin was the one who actually came up with the mailbox design pretty quickly. And it, immediately upon implementing it, it's clear that it's working. The, C, the uh, carbon uh, dioxide level begins to drop. The lunar module cells, thankfully, produced water or the command module cells produced water, but the lunar modules, because they run differently and don't require oxygen, they're just totally different, do not produce water. So obviously the command module cells are dying. Mm -hmm. So upon leaving to the lunar module, they collected as much of the water from the command module and the command module cells as possible. Um, but even with rationing, they figured they would run out of water about seven or eight hours before landing uh, because they also needed to cool. They also needed to cool the cells and not just to drink. Right. So, but NASA is optimistic that at that point, the cells will be close enough and have enough time to survive until landing. Um, if they can keep it going until they're in that seven to eight hour window, basically. So uh, in the end, uh, they arrived with very little water remaining. They each drank about 0.2 liters or 6.8 fluid ounces of water a day for four or five days. They lost between the three of them a total of 31 pounds. Oh, and Jesus. Hayes had a very severe UTI from a lack of water intake. The module uh, was not heated, the lunar module. It dropped at points as low as 38 degrees Fahrenheit, or at least it was very lightly heated. Um, so they were all cold. Like it was basically mm -hmm. always around 40 degrees-ish. <laughs> and Swigert was especially cold because he had collected the water and his feet were wet from collecting the water. And because he was the one who was going to stay in the module, he did not have moon shoes. Oh, no. Um, so they started, uh, they determined their astronaut suits would be too warm. So they just used what they could, whatever blankets and things they could to keep warm. They could not urinate out the hatch or defecate out the hatch because it might affect the trajectory of the ship. So they had to store it in bags, basically, in the module with them. And apparently, despite all of this, the crew complained very little during the actual uh, journey. I'm also still trying to get over the idea that them peeing or pooping out the hatch would have affected the trajectory of the ship. Yeah. Which I mean, just opening the hatch in any capacity, yeah. Yeah, which makes sense, but it's wild to think yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, so they, because they were only using the sun as the other systems had shut down, down is basically their compass. A second burn was needed at one point to fix the trajectory. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, another burn, this is with, as they were making their final approach, those burns were 14 and 21 seconds respectively. So the module land, settles, the module, uh, the module jettisons, the main module, the command module, Odyssey, jettisons about half an hour after the last burn. And that point, the crew is able to see the degree of damage on the module, and they take a picture of it. You can find this online. Um, it's pretty severe. Like, one of the tanks is clearly completely blown apart. 
Uh, the other one had been leaking oxygen, obviously. It was pretty serious. So they had to improvise the solution of how to release the lunar module in Earth conditions as opposed to moon lunar conditions safely. So re-entry, but that was something that they had been working on in on Earth for a while. There was a crew of scientists that had been trying to calculate how to release the lunar module into the Earth's atmosphere as opposed to the moon's. Mm-hmm. Uh, re-entry usually causes four minutes of communications break, but in this case, it was six minutes, uh, making people feel that the heat shields at the lunar module had failed and that the crew was dead. But they did not die. They landed near American Samoa. They are quickly moved to Samoa to stay the night and recover. Uh, shortly thereafter, they are taken to Hawaii to see to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Richard Nixon. And then back to Houston. The flight crew also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It was originally going to go to Thomas O. Payne, who was the NASA administrator, but he said he did not deserve it and that the flight crew did. Obviously, this was a huge story on Earth. All over, like, people were, like, it was, you know, massive. Every say it was the headline. Sorry, I'm, just, I'm glad you specified on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> it was also a huge story in... I imagine. In space, yeah. Yeah. 100% of people in space were talking about it. Yeah. Uh, But it inspired international cooperations. Even Russia offered to help in the recovery of the the astronauts. The Senate arranged for a, uh, like, they passed a bill that allowed workplaces and schools to allow for a moment of prayer for the astronauts. The Pope led tens of thousands in prayer for their safety. It was found after the fact that the, the reason that the, uh, the explosion of the oxygen tank occurred was because of damaged Teflon in the construction. Uh, that's what caused the leak to spur. Hmm. The tank itself that included the Teflon was made by Beach Aircraft in Boulder, Colorado, baby. <laughs> Weird flex. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Colorado blew, dropped the ball a little bit on that one. And Challenger, apparently. Yeah, uh, not great with rockets, I guess. <laughs> uh, none of the crew ever flew again, uh, or at least into space, understandably. And there were redesigns to the O2 tanks after this. But despite that, several more Apollo launches were canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nixon feared that a worse space catastrophe would uh, hurt him politically and look bad for the United States. Yeah, that sounds like Nixon. Yeah, and NASA and cuts to NASA's budget continued The next Apollo mission was 17 in December 1972. That was successful. And it was the last mission. It was the last time any human being has walked on the moon was December 1972. There has not been an attempt to go back since then. The command module for Apollo 13 was recovered. It's in the Cosmosphere, which is a space museum, basically, in Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, There has been several movies and documentaries and books, most famously Apollo 13 from 1995. Uh, which modified Houston, we've had a problem to, you know, Houston, we have mm-hmm. a problem. And gave Kranz, the Ed Harris character and flight director, the phrase, failure is not an option. Kranz never said this, but he became so associated with him, he did name his autobiography that. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, and the... This year, in fact, there were there were plans uh, from NASA and a few television outlets and you know local uh, areas to have some 50th anniversary commemoration. Most of it was postponed because of coronavirus. So that is what happened with Apollo 13. 
Awesome. Zach, thank you. No problem. Uh, Derek, whenever you're ready. All right. Um, <clears throat> my take on Apollo 13 is uh, about the boxer, Apollo Creed. Perfect. Um, <laughs> he, uh, everybody knows he's a famous boxer uh, that basically was tit for tat with Rocky Balboa. Oh, they of course. Becoming, they end up becoming friends. They started off as enemies. They really were basically about at the same competitive level. <laughs> Apollo, thir- Apollo 13 uh, is the last one. He ended up having 13 of them. I believe Rocky <laughs> only had seven, um, but which makes sense. Apollo is after a real – Apollo Apollo Creed uh, is a remake of Muhammad Ali, basically, is what they were trying to do. And um, so it's not surprising that it being based off of a real character that uh, there was 13 of them. Um, I just I love the non-specific thirteen of them. <laughs> yeah, thirteen. There's been thirteen Apollo movies. Okay. Um, all about and then Apollo Eleven, which is a particularly special one, comes into the scene where it's Apollo's grandson, Floyd Mayweather. Apollo. He uh, actually ends up fighting Rocky's. Uh, grandson Oscar De La Hoya Balboa um, <laughs> and that is a huge match uh, hey, if you yes. want to know what Rocky's up to he started a pizza joint in uh, Apollo 9 called Adrian's is, um, is, is there still a period in this movie series where Michael B. Jordan plays Apollo Creed's son? Does that still He is occur? his son Nay, Nay Creed is still he's in this he, he doesn't become quite the boxer that the grandson, uh, Floyd Mayweather, Apollo <laughs> Creed, uh, becomes uh, eventually. The second, but, the third. Yeah. Uh, and also, um, there's, there's some highlights to these Apollo. Uh, I just wanted to – not everybody's got to see all these Apollos, and we'll specifically talk about Apollo 13, which is a great one. It's the very, it's the very end. It's where uh, Apollo Creed is the trainer for his grandson. Um, he, mm-hmm. he actually, the grandson ends up fighting his dad, uh, which is Michael B. Johnson. Guys, listen, blockbuster. <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> blockbuster. This was some big shit. And uh, Floyd Mayweather, Apollo Creed, ends up uh, beating Nate Johnson, which is the son, uh, which is his dad. Lots of twists and turns. If I may clarify, because obviously in the Rocky series, Apollo Creed is um, killed by yep. uh, Ivan Drago. So I assume That's in this Creed series, he is either faked his death or resurrected after a ex- certain point. I'm so glad you brought that up. On August 31st, <laughs> 1985, Zach, they have Apollo Creed dying. He actually did not die. Um, there's uh, Apollo 1 is about actually how he, he isn't dead. They thought he was dead. They get to the hospital. He ends up coming back to life. It's it's really the one. It's the one that gets them hooked on the series, which is important because there's 13 of those fuckers. Um, <laughs> it's also the rare series where the 13th installment is the best one. <laughs> oh, and, and, and you know what? A lot rare. different. A lot different than the series Lost. This gets better as we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, the anti-Lost. The anti-Lost. Yes, and this also. Um, I'm trying to, to find in my notes here the mother of. Uh, Nay Johnson, the wife of um, Apollo Creed, she ends up uh, getting into some boxing in Apollo 8. She becomes a female professional boxer and a world champion. 
which her name's Marianne Creed. And, and so that that's another that's another special one. But Apollo 13 uh, is actually the last episode of or the last movie of uh, Apollo Creed's reign. And, and it's not surprising, like I said, that, you know, it kind of took over, you know, uh, Rocky. Rocky's, a, you know, a made up thing about a guy that ran up the <laughs> stairs in Philadelphia. We're talking about, about Muhammad Ali. Here. About that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but what's so what what's what makes this all truly ridiculous is when you told me Apollo thirteen, this is immediately what I thought about. <laughs> I, I immediately was like, oh my god, Apollo Creed comes out. He has his own movies. It's way better than Rocky. He has a son, a grandson, Floyd Mather. So, anyways, I I, I just to interject uh, on movie series where the 13th film is the best i did decide to try and figure out what the 13th james bond film was and it is octopussy so it's possible (laughs) (laughs) octopussy yeah so it's possible you know just so you for your consideration this is of course also citizens on patrol i don't know how many police academy movies there were there are not 13 of them (laughs) no lord 13 there's not even 13 friday the 13th how many? I think we're at eleven, right? Not eleven or twelve, yeah. Counting Freddy versus Jasons right? and counting the remake, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just I've been thinking, but I've been trying to think of what films have thirteen. I think well, there's the there's at least thirteen Godzilla movies. Yep. There's like oh, twenty easily. something Godzilla. Yeah, movies. I was about to say yeah. It's like twenty six, I think. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm yeah, wearing I, I, a Mothra I, shirt. I should. <laughs> you should have nailed it. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, that's that's my <laughs> my take on Sorry, Apollo was... thirteen was Apollo Creed's reign from from the very beginning to when they thought he was dead, nineteen eighty five, all the way until his grandson Floyd Mayweather Apollo Creed. To like Apollo Resurrection, I think that's that's what that one was called. You're no, exactly 13th, right. I'm, I'm I glad think you're the, familiar with that film. I thought the thirteenth one was called Apollo Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually the best name. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe the thirteenth James Bond is Octopussy. I don't even know if that's true or not. I would have thought that would be. I th- was was that one uh, Dalton or was that no? That's Connery? more. That's more. Oh, okay. okay. I don't. I don't know the james bond series all that well i'm also glad i'm with two people who have seen who understand the rocky series because i've oh i have seen the first creed and and mm-hmm. most of the first rocky and okay. that's it okay i mean that is you've surpassed me so yeah i i was i was curious if you knew who uh, do you know who oscar de la Hoya is brian I do. Yes. Okay. I, I am aware of like the more famous boxers. Um, Oscar De Actually, Oscar De La Hoya Balboa. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oscar De La Hoya Balboa. Thank you. Um, <laughs> like more famous when I was a kid. So I guess Mike Tyson. I've heard of Floyd Mayweather. Um, that's really it. Evander Holyfield. Is he still a, a thing? He's alive. Yeah. Okay, good. That, that's what I meant. <laughs> uh, George Foreman still, still like, making grills? Is I, I'm pretty sure. I haven't seen George on TV in a while. He, he, that, uh, that hamburger meat might have caught up to him. <laughs> uh, but he knocked out the fat. Um, right. It drains right out. What a product. What a disgusting tray that is to empty. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> 
listeners, before we move on, um, real quick, also thank you, Derek. Um, real quick, uh, as always, we ask that you review the show on your podcast app of choice. Uh, written reviews are super helpful. Uh, give us five stars and tell us what you would do with the Space Shuttle Challenger. Uh, say whatever. Um, you can also uh, ask us a question, leave us a comment, write us a letter at revisionistpodcast.com and uh, find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all, all of that. Um, I know plugging things is a weird <laughs> thing right now. Um, I don't know, Derek, if you have any anything you want to mention um, or just like your social media channel. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I've got a YouTube channel and a Facebook fan page. And if you just want to friend me on Facebook, Derek Stroop, uh, S-T-R-O-U-P. I do a lot of fun videos and stay pretty active on there. It's, you know, uh, I've got another show coming up in 2023 that I'm excited about. <laughs> um, fingers crossed but, on that one, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, no, I, I had a blast. Uh, this was so much fun. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. And whenever you, you want me again, here. just ask. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we have a... Before we, I mean, before we move on to judgment and say goodbye, um, like like we've been plugging before, uh, give blood if you can. Um, that's a thing that's really needed right now. Register to vote because that time is coming up. And uh, hey, just take care of yourselves and each other um, because the world is terrifying. Um, so so yeah. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that, Zach. Uh. I guess for me personally, uh, you could still find the Little Women of Modern Audio Drama podcast that was created uh, by my girlfriend, Shannon Camp, that I have a part on. Just look for that wherever podcasts are. I also was recently um, approached by some friends to resurrect a long dead podcast thing we're doing. So watch this space as I have more information for that probably next time. Nice. Um, that brings us to Judgment. Um, which this is a, this is a hard one because this is like the Apollo 13 story is like something, like I've said, I've sort of grew up on, um, and it's sort of like a testament to it's truly, I feel one of the stranger alternates we've had because the alternate <laughs> history is that there's a, a film franchise that doesn't exist in our world, but does exist. <laughs> You know what, Zach, you should have seen, I hit up Brian on Facebook and I was like, hey, this is kind of how I interpreted. And like, honestly, it was like, ha, 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 like nine of them in a row. And I was like, oh, shit. No, no, no. I, um, I love that. Um, because I do, I, it is bad shit, um, which, I, <laughs> which I am partial to. Um, so I am torn, but I think as I, as I look deep uh, into my heart, um, it's very hard for me to shake my affection for the uh, original Apollo 13 story. Um, so my one vote, uh, I will cast for the actual history. I th yeah. Uh, but listeners, voting is now open on Patreon. And check out the Instagram uh, next week for the last round of voting. Uh, but Derek, thank you so much for joining us. That was so much fun. Yeah, I had I had a I had a blast, guys. Thanks for having me.
Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Zach, thank you as always. Uh, of course. For everyone here at The Revisionists, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time. May 16th, 1771. The last battle between British forces and the rebels of the Regulator movement takes place in North Carolina. Afterwards, British forces conduct a Regulator Roundup. I'll do, no, fuck it, I'll do two more. May 16th, 1846. The first wagon train sets off on the Oregon Trail, later inspiring the beloved children's game, Shoplifting. <laughs> one, one more. Um, May 16th, 1866. The U.S. Congress has established... May 16th, 1866, the U.S. Congress establishes the nickel as part of a campaign to trick citizens into thinking they have enough quarters for laundry. Hmm. Okay. Uh, May 16th, right? Because I only wrote the years. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> May 16th, 1866, the year after the Civil War, the United States Congress... Yeah. May 16th, 1866, the year after the Civil War, the U.S. Congress establishes the nickel. Having quickly decided that Reconstruction and helping freed slaves integrate into society would be a 1900s and later problem. <laughs> May 16th, 1770, the 14-year-old Marie Antoinette marries 15-year-old Louis Auguste, who later becomes King of France. Antoinette, calling the guests over for the cutting of the cake, is heavily misconstrued by Chapo Trap House. <laughs>